0: So Ansel kind of blindsided me with the with this whole thing. I didn't I didn't ask him. In fact, my opinion wasn't even considered in this. And so Jim goes, I, I, <laughs> I yeah. So um, I dissented. Um, and so, but anyways, um, so I just I. I want to say, I would do this for free. My wife wouldn't l- let that happen. But uh, his, his, this church is a wonderful church. I mean, I, I, I've been one of the first churches we ever worked in. We were just volunteering there. And we had such a horrible experience. And I've never had that type of experience here. Um, and we get some crazy people. Um, and so, yeah, exactly. It's just one big pile of crazy. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, anyone that lives in court site, something's off. Uh, and so, um, uh, but real quick before we, we get into this, um, you'll notice that there's less chairs. The reason for that is because when the people come in this week, I'm going to ask you at the end of the service if you could pick up your chair and just put it to the side just to kind of help us. I know. If you just pick up one chair, that's all we need. Okay, and even people on the wings, you don't even have to pick up your chairs. Just move them. <laughs> but um, yeah, but um, so anyways, uh, it, you guys remember the '90s sitcom? It's uh, Doogie Hauser? Yeah, I remember that? Um, I remember that thing. It, I thought it was pretty funny. From my own mental, you know, as a kid, I thought it was pretty funny. I don't know if it actually was because there's a lot of shows I, I go back and I look at and I go, man, that really wasn't as funny as I thought it was. <laughs> it's really not as good. And, um, but if you don't know the the show... Um, it's about this teenage doctor, uh, his name is Doogie Hauser and he's a medical doctor, he's a genius, and basically the show, you know, every show has its premise, and basically is no one believes that he's a doctor, right? And No one trusts him, and how could he do this, and he's a genius. Uh, well, I want to share a story with you. When we first came down, um, me and my wife, we, we came down in October of 2007 um, on the 13th so we're coming up to 15 years um, being here in site, uh coming this October and um, we jumped we it was a month okay so I, I saw the position posting called pastor Jeff two weeks later we flew down here two weeks later we moved down here so it was quick okay and I've been here for almost 15 years um, and I love it. I don't plan to leave anytime soon. Um, so don't give me a reason to, no. Um, but, um, so, but when we moved down here, um, we had a friend, actually someone we went to college with was actually interning here during that time and we came down and it was funny. There was a lot of stories that went with it. Um, we, uh, Jeff never knew this and I'm going to reveal it now. So Carol. Um, we were the ones that told the paper's your house. Uh, <laughs> and so, um, but so we were just along for the ride and um, it was actually the, the intern who actually did this and it was Gabe and Josh who, who were part of the instigation. So, um, so they're not, so <laughs> none of them are, yeah. Um, And Gabe and Josh's parents are back there, so (laughs) now you know something that, that one of the things they did. Um, So when we came down here, though, uh, the youth group was kind of in disarray, um, I would say, a little bit. Um, And so we were kind of just thrown in. We came in on a Saturday and Sunday morning. I had to teach Sunday school. Um, And so uh, it was fine. I don't remember anything bad, so it must have been okay. Um, But then... Thursday came around, and at the time, they used to do a, a worship night, just a worship night on Thursdays, and then on Friday, they would have what we call now rec night. What I did was I combined the two, um, and so, but, so we um, went through uh, Thursday night. It was interesting. It's kind of weird. I've never been to something like that before, and so put, you know, it was weird, um, but it was good. And then Friday came around, and that's when things got bad. <laughs> um, it was crazy because we had a bunch of teens show up to look at the new guy. Um, and so um, it, was, it was fun. And so we were out there, and I was playing basketball with the teens. And then something happened. Um, they were being very rowdy, okay, as teens are. First night I'm there, very rowdy, and apparently they've been even rowdier before then. Um, to where one, yeah, to where one um, kid, I guess uh, one teenager, was flying up and down the street. Not when that day, but had been flying up in the street on a motorcycle, you know, like a, a uh, no, like a off-road uh, type of yeah, dirt bike. Um, and so, so we're there, and everything's going on. It's loud. Uh, if you've ever, if you live around this area on Friday nights, you know it can get pretty loud. In fact, you go down the street, and you can hear. Um, oh, yeah. Well, we at the time, we as a church had not been very good to our neighbors. Um, we uh, were not good. Um, And so, but on this particular night, first night, I had a a young lady come up uh, who was one of our neighbors at the time, and she was very uh, tired of it. Let's just say that. Um, And she was looking for the person in charge. That was me, first day. And I, so I saw, you know, she was coming in, she was asking who was in charge. So I was on my way, met her. Um, and she goes, I go, I'm, I'm Jeremiah, I'm the youth pastor here, what's going on? Um, and she goes, no, I want to talk to someone in charge. <laughs> Which I understand, because I looked very young. Uh, I, yeah, I was Doogie Howser. Um, I looked like one of the teenagers, and so it made perfect sense why she didn't believe me. Um, well, there was no one else. Um, we did have one of our elders there, but they were cooking, I said... Um, I'm in charge. You have to deal with me. Um, And then she uh, vented, uh, which I could understand. I completely understood. And it took us years, years, to uh, fix the relationship with our neighbors. Because we, I I have to admit, we as a church did not do a good job up until that point. And I hope that now we have done a good job. Um, Our closest neighbor is Tina over there. So I hope she's here. So she... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, um, but, um, but so it, but it was really interesting because I'd never had had that moment in my life because there was never a moment where I was in charge of anything and then having to deal with a problem like that. That's one of the reasons why I now have a goatee because that gives me a little more age. Um, and now I, I'm getting the gray hair, so that helps. um, and so, but I am still the youngest pastor here, even though I'm the second longest serving pastor in town. So it's just interesting, um, in town, you know, um, anyways, so, uh, but it's this idea of authority and questioning authority, um, that we're going to be talking about today. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 21, and we're going to be looking at 27 verses and they're all about authority. And as we're doing this, I, last week I talked about how from chapters 20 all the way to 28, it's about Jesus's authority, and we're going to see this time and time again brought up through these chapters. And so, as we're going back into Matthew 21, let's talk about what we talked about last week: was um, how it's really easy to always desire more of something. So. To desire more of God is not a bad thing, but to desire what God hasn't given us, that is the problem. Um, And so that's what we were talking about last week. Our, Our sinful desire is, God, it's not enough. God, you need to give me more. And instead of saying, okay, God, what you give me is perfectly fine. That's what I want. I want whatever you give me. That's what I want. And so if you want to give me, and this, you know, one of the things is gifts. It, Lord, if you want to give me the gift of prophecy, that'd be fantastic. You know, but if you want to give me the gift of serving, I'll take that too. You know, it's, I want whatever you give me. And so that's what we talked about last week. And if we're not understanding that, if we're not getting to this place where it's, I'm satisfied with what Jesus gives me, then his authority will make no sense to us. We'll be actually kicking against Jesus' authority, because we're never going to be satisfied with anything He gives us. So, we have to understand that first, that we must, as Jesus's disciples, be satisfied with what He gives us, so that we can better be under His authority, okay? So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 21, I'm going to read all uh, 27 verses today, um, and i got to tell you, as we're getting further and further on into this section, um, there's one point where one of these weeks it's going to be like 50 verses again because it co- covers two chapters and it's so in-depth that we, we there's just no way like to do all 50 verses so it's oh man i i'm excited for the weeks of time that's what i say okay here we go matthew 21 starting in verse 1 Say to the daughter of Zion, See your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the gro- on the road, while others cut off branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, Jesus replied. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night early in the morning, as he was on his way back to the city, he was hungry, seeing a fig tree by the road. He went up to to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, May you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to this fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And and who gave you this authority? Jesus replied, I will, I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I'll tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or from man? They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, we are afraid of the people, for they all believed John was a prophet. So they asked Jesus, why? we don't know. Then he said, Neither will I tell you by what authority I, I am doing these things. Alright? So this whole section has in it Jesus' um, Jesus's authority. So let's take them one by one. I have, I've discussed this Matthew passage before this past thing. There's a lot going on in the triumphal entry. And that's where we're going to start. Is this where Jesus is coming in. And if you are listening and hear it, there's a there is a disconnect. Yeah, there's a disconnect from what the people are believing here and what Jesus is trying to get at. The people they're thinking this is inaugurating the the, the kingdom of Israel reestablished. This is we're gonna, Jesus is going to come in. He's going to kick out the Gentiles. The Romans are going to be gone. Um, we're going to. Fight them, we're gonna take over Israel's gonna become a, a nation where everyone's gonna to look to them and and bow and it's gonna be great. And so this is why they say things like when asked who is this, they say this is Jesus the prophet. Okay? So they have this messianic, this idea of what the Messiah is, and they do have a concept, but it's not the full concept. We've talked about before, the disciples are right here. They're in that same thing. Jesus is going to overthrow, but Jesus keeps telling them, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to raise again. But they didn't want to hear it. Why? Because who wants a dead Messiah? In fact, at this time, there's this concept that's going around that they're who is the Messiah? And there's different ways that people have interpreted at this time. And one of the ways is two messiahs. That one is going to die and stay dead and then there's going to be another one that's going to come in and rule. Okay? And the problem with it is Jesus is saying it's both. I don't know if you ever remember that one, um, I love it. It stuck with me for some reason. It's a tortilla commercial about tacos and they're like you, you know you can have these tacos or you can have these tacos and it's always the little girl that says why not both right. okay, that's Jesus he's like it's both I'm going to die I'm going to resurrect and I'm going to reign it's a both and so but these particular people they're just saying oh here he comes here comes the king David uh, here comes the new king he's going to come in and he's going to wreck these people but what's interesting is through this, Jesus is giving commands. He says to the disciples, go to the village and ahead of you, and once you enter there, you'll find a donkey tied. And if anyone says, asks you, you say, the Lord needs it. And we know in other gospel accounts that actually happens. Someone says, why are you, why are you taking this donkey? And they say, well, Jesus needs it. And so he gets it. So there's this authority right from the beginning type of thing. But this is not actually what we're going to be talking about. If we jump down um, to this next part, uh, the next verses, we get the cleansing of the temple. And I love this passage. I just love this passage because the, I asked the teenagers on Friday night, when you're asked about Jesus, what image gets into your mind? Right, and I'm talking about an actual picture. You know, what idea, what visual do you have? And for most people it's Jesus, he has the the long beard, you know, he has the long flowing hair, it's very nice. Um, sometimes he'll have blue eyes, sometimes he'll have brown eyes, he has the long flowing robes, right? Very nice, has a very soft face. He's holding the lamb. You know, he's looking at the lamb. Oh, how sweet, right? And to me, this blows that out of the picture. Because the reality is, if we really start thinking about who Jesus would be, he probably doesn't have these nice, clean, flowing robes. It's probably dirty. He probably has a pretty ratty shirt. He walks around. He's an itinerant preacher, so he's not just hanging out in one spot. You know, this is a—I really like this shirt. This is a really nice shirt, and I keep it really nice because it's my Sunday shirt. These pants—I have two pairs of pants that are identical, okay—and I—that's all they're for is for Sunday mornings, okay. These shoes—don't look at the shoes—they're—they're—they're they're, they're all dirty, okay, um, because we live in the desert. But as soon, hey, <laughs> Lord gets up what? <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I wipe these shoes down, but as soon as I get out of the car, they're, like dirty they, they're already dirty again. So, um, I do them, I, when I wake up, I wa- wipe them down, never again do I touch them, you know. And so, we have certain things for certain occasions, right? We have our nice clothes, right? It used to be Sunday. And probably just like boys, 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 boys. Right. Yeah, so olive skin, right? Probably brown eyes. Uh, probably, you know, hair. Maybe, maybe didn't have a beard. Long hair, maybe, maybe not. You know, um, and so, and he worked with his hands for most of his life, right? He was a carpenter. So, he, yeah, he has calluses, um, probably... Um, his sin his uh, his skin has been burnt by the sun, you know he had actual man hands one of the things i um, I had a, a buddy in in one of my roommates in college and he was we were in this class together for some reason i don 't know we had different um, you know majors, but we were in this cl- class and the um, teacher goes what 's one thing that really bugs you about pastors? and he goes. Their hands. <laughs> the teacher's like, "What?" He goes, "Yeah." He goes, "I go to this really big church, and every time I shake the pastor's hands, they're soft. <laughs> they're like lotiony, and it's because he grew up building. You know, on um, he had a, a small uh, ranch that they would work on. And so he's like, you know, I shake their hands, and I feel like I'm shaking." a girl's hand. You know, and... I know, these are soft. That's why I don't put lotion on my hands. (laughs) Um, But, um, you know, and so, but that's not Jesus' hands. Jesus' hands were probably rough. and, And I just love this, because in this moment, in this temple, right, He is so outraged at what's going on and this is you know there there's a difference between holy outrage and there's just outrage outrage is i've been i've been hurt and i'm responding out of my hurt holy outrage is god's stuff in this case the temple is being profaned it's being sinned against and it shouldn't be you know this you could have holy outrage um for someone who has been raped, right? They have been raped, and so you have holy outrage, because that should never happen. You know, so there are moments when we can have holy outrage. And and so Jesus has this holy outrage, and he, I love it. I just, I want to see this done in live action. You know, they always show Jesus' things I just want to see Jesus flipping tables. Um, at one point it says he he makes a cord right to as a whip and he just starts whipping people. okay, never tell me that if if one day you see me whipping someone I'm trying to be biblical here you know um but it 's jesus is has the holy outrage and then he gives the reason right they 're desecrating and and what 's interesting here is he quotes two Two places in Scripture. He quotes from Isaiah 56. Now, Isaiah, the latter part of Isaiah is all about the the servant. Okay, it's called the servant songs. Okay, they start in the 40s and they they go all the way through the end. And this is Jesus. Jesus is the servant, um, the messianic servant. This is if you've ever heard um, uh, Isaiah 53, right? Um, Who's bruised for our transgressions? That that um, thing who's broken for us. All this comes from Isaiah 53. It comes from these these servant song passages. And so Jesus quotes back into this, and it's actually a, a quote of hope. And so this is what it says. Uh, the original it says, "These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations." So Jesus points to this passage where it's talking about the servant, the Messiah, and it's all about the the servant of God, the Messiah, is going to be the one that makes God's house a a, a prayer. A, a house of prayer for the nations. Okay, And so Jesus is saying. That's what it's supposed to be. And then he quotes from Jeremiah. Jeremiah 7.11. He says. Uh, uh, God's speaking to Jeremiah. He says. Has this house which bears my name. Become a den of robbers to you. But I have been watching. Declares the Lord. And so he He quotes both of these. He uses parts from both. To make a point. That this temple was always supposed to be intended to be a, a place where the presence of God comes, where the nations could come and find forgiveness. But what have they made it? They made it a place that's desecrated. That robbers have come in and they're stealing from people. And what was happening is the money changers... Um, how many of you been out of country before? You've been to a different country? Okay. So, you know when you go, uh, you, you usually take travel checks, but you can go and take money and you exchange it right Uh, when we went to Honduras I think it was 13 to 1 we gave them a dollar they gave me us 13 of their own Um, and so that's what we do that's what was going on with the money changers is they were charging a temple fee um, and it was not right it was out so instead of like a one-to-one it was like More, It was like a 1 to 10, 1 to 13, you know, type of thing. So you gave them $13, and you got $1 in return is the idea. And so that was the problem, is they were swindling people. Yeah, they were stealing from them. And so Jesus says, you've made it a den of robbers. And what was going on is, he's referencing that God was watching Jeremiah's generation... And that's what was going on, and now he's saying this is happening again. It's the same thing. And so this whole this whole thing is about it. And then when the when some people come to ask Jesus, what gives you the right to do this? Jesus quotes Psalm eight verse two. Okay? He does Psalm verse eight, verse two. And in that, now this is, when we see it in the scripture, it's actually from the Septuagint. That's the translation Jesus is using. Here's what it is in the NIV. It's through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. And so, when Jesus quotes it, he says from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise. And so what's interesting about this passage though is when Jesus says this, right? He's so he's asked, what's your authority? where do you get your authority to do this? Where, who who are you, Jesus? He quotes this verse that infants, children are going to give praise. Right? I want us to go to verse 1 of Psalm 8 because it's really important that we understand the context of that. So in verse 1, you got it up there? It says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. And then it goes on to through the praise of children to infants. So it's saying, you have set your praise, God. And they're going to Praise you. The children and infants are going to praise you. So this is the, the the idea here. So what is Jesus really saying here? This is one of those subtle things where Jesus is claiming Godhood. He's saying, My authority is because I'm God. It's just one of those real subtle things by just quoting the fact that these people are calling him. God. These people are coming here, or they're calling him Messiah. These people are coming here. He has the right to overthrow these tables. He, uh, these people come to him and they're healed. Why? Because he, as as God, has the authority to do all of this. He's the one that deserves all of this. And then it gets emphasized by Matthew as they leave the temple and on the way back you get the fig tree uh, situation. Early in the morning, he comes back to the city and he sees this fig tree. And this fig tree, i got this tree right here, okay? It has the leaves. And the idea is that when a tree has the leaves, when a fig tree has the leaves, it has fruit. So it's, So he goes over to the fig tree and goes to get some figs, and there's no fruit. It's just leaves. Luke and Mark have a whole different reason for this, but it's placed right here because as soon as he say, sees it, he goes, he he says, "May you never bear fruit again." So he curses it, and then what happens? It withers up, right? It, it's dying, and the disciples ask the question, "Why? Why'd that happen?" Well, what's the answer? Because the God who created it said no more. All this is right in the authority of Jesus. Jesus has the authority coming in. Why? Because He's the Messiah. right? Jesus has the authority to overturn tables. Why? Because He's the God whose presence should be there. He has the authority to command the fig tree to say no more. And it does it. And then we get to the final part. Oh, one more. Go back. It's easy to just click real fast. It's Jesus now returns to the temple. I'm wondering, I've always wondered this. Did the money changer show up a second day? I don't know if I would. I just got whipped the day before. I'm calling in sick. But he re-enters the temple, and he starts teaching. And what's interesting is, up until this point, Jesus has had several encounters with priests, with Pharisees, with scribes, with different people from the religious leadership. And now we're told that the chief priests, so the high-ups, are now coming to Jesus. And the elders of the town, so the leaders of the city, are coming to Jesus. And now they're questioning him and they ask him by what authority right are you doing these things and who gave you this authority it's this whole section is about Jesus's authority who gives you the right who gives you the right to ride on the donkey who gives you the right to overturn these money changers who gives you the right to curse the fig tree and so they're asking who gives you this authority and Jesus has a question for them he says, I'll, I'll answer you, but you answer me first. John's baptism, where did it come from? Heaven or man? And the question there is, where did John get his authority? Because here's the reality. If you can't know that, how are you going to know Jesus's? In fact, Jesus um, talks about this, this idea of, in John 3, about this idea of, uh, he's talking to Nicodemus and he's explaining uh the rebirth, right? Being born again. And Nicodemus isn't getting it. And he, he tells him, how how can you understand heavenly things if you can't understand earthly things? Like, he, Because if you can't understand this thing, you can't understand the big things. And so this is why he's asking him this question. Where did John's baptism, where did John's authority come from? And they they have a They step back and they talk amongst themselves. If we say it's from heaven, he's going to say, well, why don't you believe him? If we say it's from man, then the people will get mad. So they're in a bind here. And so they answer, we don't know. And what's Jesus' answer? Then I won't tell you. Because you won't get it. Why? Because you're not seeking the authority of God. What's interesting about this whole situation, a lot of times when we think about the overturning of the temple, we're thinking of, man, Jesus is just wrecking these people who have these tables and they're just trying to make a living. But when Jesus comes back to the temple, there are still people that are desecrating the temple because they're not seeking after the God whose presence is supposed to live there. Those priests, those elders were speaking on behalf of the people as if they represented God to the people, and they had no clue what was going on. Why? Because they were seeking their own authority and not God's. So there's no way they could understand that Jesus was God. There's just no way. Because they weren't seeking that. And that was the huge thing. They wanted their own control. They wanted their own kingdoms. They, you know... if. Because if they said John's baptism came from heaven, that means they would have to put their cells under the authority of someone else, right? Of John. But if they didn't, then they would have to deal with the people, and they wanted control of the people. So whose kingdom were they, they seeking? It wasn't Jesus's. And so they missed it. They missed the kingdom because of this. Because they wanted their own kingdom. And so, as I've been praying through this, and you know what's interesting is, um, we've been going through Matthew. This is the second summer. We'll finish this summer. And what's really interesting is when God, um, perfect example of this, last week um, preached on being satisfied with God. Right, and it's amazing when people will walk out the door and say that's exactly what I need to hear you know why it's, it's amazing is because t- about two years ago that's when God said okay we're going to be going through Matthew so that mean, meant that last week when someone heard the message that was God speaking to you two years ago because they, He knew that you needed to hear that today. This is one of the reasons why I don't teach topically. Or I just like, okay, this week we're going to teach this. Because if God wants to speak, then He will speak. And so, two years ago for today, God's calling us to put ourselves under His authority that we are satisfied with Him, and whatever He says, we will do. And so, in this next part, it's easy for us to, um, to seek our own control and authority, right? But God wants us to only, only be under His. Okay? Because when we are under God's authority, that's when we can truly live. You know, that's when the things of this world, the things of the political world, of finances, anything like that, when we put it under God's authority and we say, okay, God, it's yours. Then those things, when they come, they matter, but they don't destroy us. We deal with them, and we're strengthened, and we find peace. Peace. And joy in situations where people are... You know, you heard the Great Depression, right? And it starts off with the banks just buckling, right? And you hear stories about people jumping out of buildings because they've lost everything. Why? Because their authority, the money, was king of their lives. And as soon as they lost it, what's left to live for? Nothing. But when Christ is our King, when Jesus is our authority, when He is the one that dictates our lives, He's eternal. Nothing in this world can take that away. That's why Paul went and was beheaded. That's why Peter went and was crucified upside down. That's why Nathanael was skinned alive. That's why John was boiled in oil. Why? Because Christ was their authority. Nothing else mattered. And so my challenge for you this week I think is really simple, I think. In Matthew 6:10, Jesus or in Matthew 6, Jesus teaches us or teaches his disciples how to pray. And you've heard it, Lord's Prayer, right? In the second verse of that, Jesus says, pray like this, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done. So my challenge for you this week is when you get up, when you first wake up, pray that. Jesus, your kingdom come, your will be done today. When you get into your car Jesus, Your kingdom come, Your will be done. When you start having a conversation with someone, pray, Your kingdom come, Your will be done. When you have an activity, whatever you do, every time you start something new, Jesus, Your kingdom come, Your will be done. So that we put in our minds right away, this conversation is about for Jesus, this activity is for Jesus this guest when you go to pump your gas, Jesus, your will your, your kingdom come, your will be done you know yeah, say it twice <laughs> you know every because everything every action should be under the authority of Jesus so that in all things he can do whatever he wants he wants to ride in. Your kingdom come, Lord. He wants to flip tables in our lives, your kingdom come, Lord. And we don't question when he says, Go do this. No, it's your kingdom come, your will be done. And it's really hard because we want our own kingdoms. Right? There are things I joke about it, um, about like, you know, popping some up the side of a head when they're annoying, and it's a half truth. Because half of, ser- like, half of me is really serious about it. You know, I have to joke about it because if not, I'll do it. You know, yeah. And it, it's the same thing with like the political stuff. It's like I'm concerned about, but Lord, this is yours. You have to do it. I'll be faithful in what you've called me to do, but it's yours. You got to do it. And so, your will be done. And so that's why I want to challenge you guys to do this week. This is something I've been doing this week. To, God, okay, it's yours. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Let me do it, Lord. Alright? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all that you do for us. I mean, Lord, what more do we need than Jesus coming and dying for us? I mean, what really, what more do we need? Lord, we are so blessed by you, especially in this great nation that you've given us. And Lord, we we, we hurt for it because we see the greatness that you founded it to be, and yet we see the, the the vileness that is going on all around us. But Lord, your your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord, help us to, to realize that that it's not about us. Let's not let us not be like the the people that were just saying Hosanna with the idea that you were going to be a certain way, and then dismiss you when you weren't that. Lord, help us not to not to be like the the chief priests and the elders that were questioning your authority and and were rejecting you because of that because they wanted their own kingdoms. Lord, help us to to live and speak. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. So Father, I pray for the movement of Your Holy Spirit in Your people that we would not stifle You, that we would walk in step as You lead us. That when we need to forgive, that we would forgive. When we need to confess, that we would confess. When we need to bow, we would bow. When we need to stand, let us stand on Your truth. So Father, I ask that You give Your people strength this week. That we would be under the authority of the of the living savior so jesus move build your church as you see fit then all things you are given the glory you are deserved because you are worthy the most worthy and so lord let your praises of your people ring out in this nation across this world as we worship alongside our brothers and sisters in places that are far far more desolate far more destroyed but lord as we're moving in that direction lord strengthen your church let us stand in your authority so that we can't be knocked down by anything that this world throws at us to so ask this in your son's precious name amen